Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you once again for your Spirit. We pray, Father, that you will help us to understand, help us to remember, help us to apply your word to our lives with your help, as we know we can't do it on our own. We pray, Father, that you would give us victory, Lord, over our flesh and over the temptations that the enemy placed before us. And we thank you, Lord, that we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that we do have the victory in Christ. And so we do fight from a position of victory. But in time, Lord, on this side of eternity, we have struggles and you're able to help us to overcome. You're with us every step of the way. So help us, Father, to surrender when we're having a hard time surrendering on our own. And so, Lord, I also pray for the gift of teaching, for a fresh filling of your spirit, that you would equip me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth, Lord. Such a blessing to share your word with your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, now in chapter 15, uh, Absalom, who is David's son, you, you see there that he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And then he began to gain support to become king in his father's place. Only problem is, of course, David was still alive and he was well during that time. And Absalom, this man in the scriptures, describe him as handsome. He was good looking. He had long hair. This man used flattery and deception. Now, he was quite the politician, as you can see in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And he even got King David's counselor, Ahithophel, to join him in this rebellion. But then the scriptures tell us in chapter 15 that that David was made aware of what was going on. He was made aware of this rebellion by his son Absalom. And so when he did, he and those who were on his side, they, they fled. And the scriptures tell us that they made their way east of Jerusalem and then they would they went up the mount of olives. And so there in that chapter, we, we, we can see that David dealt with opposition by fleeing. And so he escaped. He, he ran away along with those who were with him, who were on his side. But what is David going to do in chapter 16 when he faces more opposition? And so in this study, we're going to find out how David handled the opposition we're going to see in chapter 16. But at the same time, we're going to learn how to handle opposition for ourselves or to handle opposition in our own lives. And so in 2 Samuel 16, verse 1, it says, when David was a little past or when he was a little beyond the top of the mountain, that is the Mount of Olives, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys. 
and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness or in the desert to drink. The king said, and where is your master's son or grandson, as we'll find out? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father, that is his grandfather Saul, to him. So in verse 4 it says, So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. And so Ziba is this former servant of the house of Saul. And Saul, by the way, was the first king of the nation of Israel. So Ziba is the, the former servant of Saul's. And Mephibosheth is Saul's, King Saul's grandson. And Jonathan was Mephibosheth's Father, and, and so for some of you, this is just review, and some of you, this information is new. And so, what was Ziba said about Mephibosheth, of course, as, and we're going to find out in chapter 19, it, it was definitely not true. And something else you should be reminded of about Mephibosheth, and maybe for some of you, once again, this is new, is that Mephibosheth uh, was crippled in both feet. Because of a childhood accident. And so David, the scriptures tell us, he took him in and he was able to eat at the king's table, at King David's table, as if he was one of David's sons. And then he assigned Ziba, the former servant of the house of King Saul, he assigned him to be Mephibosheth's servant, to take care of the property that was given to Mephibosheth. And so this Ziba here, this guy who's supposed to be serving Mephibosheth, he probably slandered him in order to get that property that's been passed down to Mephibosheth from Saul. And David, by the way, once again, he gave that to him. And in these first four verses, we, we can see that Ziba got exactly what he wanted. Lied on Mephibosheth, and, and, he, and he got the property that he coveted. You see, David should have waited. He should have waited, and he should have gotten both sides of the story, but he only heard one side of the story. All he heard was that Mephibosheth is, is back in Jerusalem just waiting for the kingdom to become his. That's all he was that's all he knew because of this Ziba. And it's just a reminder for us that before we make any type of judgment, that we should make sure that we get all the information because we want to judge correctly. And Proverbs, which is, of course, a book of wisdom, it, it addresses this. 
In Proverbs 18, for example, in verse 13, it says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. So King David gave this man Ziba the property, the inheritance that belonged to Mephibosheth. He gave it to him just based on one side of the story. And so it was not a good decision. But then further along in Proverbs 18 and verse 17, and this is so true, it says, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. And so Ziba seemed like, like he was right. Like he was given the right information about this Mephibosheth. That, that, that he turned on David. He seemed right, but David, of course, didn't hear the other side of the story. You know, it may be that the reason King David believed what Ziba told him so easily is that his son Absalom, many people, and even his trusted advisors had already betrayed him. They already turned on him. And so David was already in a defeated and discouraged state. Everybody else turned on him. So this story seemed believable that Mephibosheth, the man he allowed to sit at his table and feed time after time, it would only make sense. Okay, he turned on me too. And so maybe that's why it was so believable. David was in his emotions. Everybody else turned on me. My my most trusted counselor and friend, he turned on me. The, the, the people that, 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 I, that I shepherded so faithfully, they, they turned on me, my own son. So why not? Somebody from Saul's household because King Saul always saw David as the enemy. So we need to be careful ourselves about not allowing our emotions to get in the way of what we believe about people. Oh, it's sad that we operate in those emotions so often. And in this case, I do believe that, that David did. See, when we operate or when we make decisions based on our emotions, we, we can make poor decisions just like this poor decision here that David made and giving away Mephibosheth's uh, inheritance or his property. But also because of emotional decisions causing us to believe uh, negative things about people. We can, we can miss out on potential great friendships and great fellowship. Can miss out on so many things all because of emotions. Verse 5, it says, now when King David came to Behurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah, coming from there. It says he came out cursing continuously as he came. And so this Behurim, this place, um, it was actually a town in Benjamin, in the territory of Benjamin, between Jerusalem and Jericho, which was beyond the Mount of Olives on the way to Jericho. And so Benjamin, by the way, that's, that's the tribe that Saul came from, King Saul came from, 
the previous king, the first king of Israel. And so this man, Shimei, who was a part of that tribe, oh, he cursed continuously. Verse 6 tells us that he threw stones at David and all of the royal servants at him, or, or the royal servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men or warriors were on David's right hand and on his left. And also Shimei said thus when he cursed. This is what he said. He said, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. In other words, he called him a worthless man. Pretty much called him a murderer and a worthless man. He said, the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul. In whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man, because you are a murderer. See, the Lord was allowing David to go through this rough time. He had to escape from his son because he, he, he didn't want there to be bloodshed in Jerusalem. Going through this rough time. And now here's this man from the family of the house of Saul cursing him on his way of escaping, on, on his way of getting now already dejected. And now this, this man is cursing him. For David, see, David had nothing to do with killing Saul. He had nothing to do with killing Jonathan. Had nothing to do with killing Abner nor Ishbosheth, which was another son of Saul. And so, yes, David was going through a rough time, but, but he was not going through a rough time for the reason Ziba or not Ziba, but for the reason Shimei had thought. He was going through this rough time or facing these consequences because of his sin with Bathsheba and then having her husband killed. So Shimei, he, he had it all wrong as far as him being punished for what happened to Saul because, because you've seen many of times that David had an opportunity to take Saul out, but he didn't. He didn't want to assume the throne in that way. He always respected Saul. King Saul is God's anointed, and so Shimei had it all wrong here. But yes, yes, it is true that David was going through this rough time because of his other sins. But what we see here is that this man Shimei was, was kicking King David while he was down. And I just wonder tonight, how many of you have been kicked while you were down? You're already going through tough time. You're already struggling. You, you've already suffered loss. But now somebody's kicking you while you're down. They're making fun of you. They're they're, they're cursing you just like Shimei is doing to, to David. And those of you who've been in that position, been kicked while you're down, you know that it's not a good feeling. And so I would say then, if you know that, then don't do that to others. Don't, don't kick them while they're down. 
Because you don't know what's people's, what, what, what's their breaking point. And I will tell you this, that there is no value in making someone feel worse than they already do. David was already feeling bad. He, he already felt bad for what he did with Bathsheba and having her husband killed. He, he felt bad for perhaps not addressing the sin in his children's lives that contributed to this point already felt bad yes he was forgiven by God and but still felt bad I'm sure and and now all of these other people are 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 going through it along with him so I'm sure he already feels shame he already feels discouraged and and so this guy Shimei he's just pouring it on so there's no value in making someone feel worse than they already do you know, I, I, I kind of took that with me and applied that when I was helping coach youth football on my son's team. When you, you have somebody who fumbles the football, it makes no sense to yell at them for fumbling the football. They already know that they fumbled the football. So what am I going to get in their face for? Why are the other coaches going to get in their face and yell because they fumbled the football? Now, what's more helpful is to remind them of how to hold the football. Make sure you cover both ends of the football and hold it close to your body. You just, you remind them of what to do, but it makes no point in yelling at them for something that, that they know that they're already embarrassed for. And so we should pray about being in that position when people already know that they've committed a grave sin. They already know that they disappointed many people. They disappointed their families. They, they already know that many times. There's some people who are proud. And yes, they refuse to acknowledge their sin. So at that point, then yes, we want to bring out the law and show them, okay, have you done this, this, and that? You know, to hopefully get people to the point where they acknowledge their sins you do have some people like that but you have to assess the situation you have to use some discernment where people already are discouraged and they're already in that position of knowing i messed up and oh i'm done for god will never receive me again he will never forgive me for this and so that is your opportunity to step in and say yes i agree with you according to the word of god what you did was wrong that is sin however this is what the word of god says god wants to encourage you. God wants to receive you back into fellowship. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so uh, we, we have to assess the situation correctly. We have to use some discernment, some wisdom, which means that we're going to have to lean on the Holy Spirit to guide us in those situations. But this guy here, he was just pouring it on King David. In verse 9, it says, Then Abishai, who's David's nephew, the son of Zeruiah, who is David's sister, he, he said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please, let me go over and take off his head. He, he had no problem with his intention. Just, just let me take his head off. And, and I'll bet you he'll stop talking. And in verse 10, it says, but the king said, David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? In other words, do we agree on anything? We don't agree on anything of how to handle this situation. We have two different attitudes going on here. 
Two different mindsets going on here. That, that's, not, that's not what I want to do. That's not even what I'm thinking. So what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And so is it that the Lord told Ziba to curse David? Or is it that God allowed this to take place? Yes, of course, he allowed it to take place. Or, or is this just David's perspective? Well, well, in either case, David was willing to accept whatever was coming to him. He knew he had done wrong. He knew that he would have to face the consequences of his sin, even though he knew that God had forgiven him. Nathan the prophet made that plain. He passed along God's word to King David. You're forgiven, but there's going to be consequences, which naturally follow sin. And so David knew that, and he was willing to accept whatever was coming to him. And so, you know, that's, that's the reason for him saying what he said in verse 10. But then you fast forward to the greater than David, to, to Jesus Christ, the king of kings. Fast forward to him. You see, although Jesus never sinned, Jesus was willing to take the consequences of sin Upon himself as well, except he was not taking the consequences of his own sin against, you know, that, that, that he committed. No, Jesus was willing to take the consequences of mankind's sin upon himself as if he were the lawbreaker. As if he was the one who fell short from the glory of God, from God's perfect standard. Jesus was willing to take the consequences for our sins, and we know that he did. And so that's the key difference here. So, yes, there's some similarities between David and, and, and King Jesus, but there's some differences. So, so, yes, both accepted the consequences of sin, but David accepted the consequences of his own sin, while Jesus accepted the consequences of our sins. You see, the scriptures tell us in Isaiah 53, stand in the Old Testament in verses 5 and 6, it says, but he, now this is prophesying of Jesus, of what he would do hundreds of years before he would take upon himself a human body. Hundreds of years before then, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our mistakes for us overstepping the boundaries of God's holy law. He, he was wounded for our guilt. He was bruised. In other words, he was crushed for our iniquities or lawlessness. You see, the chastisement or the punishment for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. And so the punishment for our peace. And, and so... In other words, Jesus took the punishment that we deserve so that we can have peace with God. So we can have a a peaceful relationship with God. You see, we have to understand that, that we cannot experience the peace of God, which people crave in this world today. You can't experience the peace of God unless you first have peace with God. And so Jesus It says the chastisement for our peace, it was upon him. By those stripes, we are healed. Speaking of spiritual healing first and foremost. 
See, sin is a, is a spiritual sickness. And the wages of sin, of that spiritual sickness, the scriptures tell us, is death. And so, therefore, without Jesus, mankind, men, women, where we are spiritually dead, we're spiritually separated from God. We are not in a relationship with him. And if we die in that state, we, we, we experience that eternal death which is separation from him for eternity in hell. Hell is described in many ways. It's described as outer darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a a place where it says their worms do not die. It's a it's a place of torment. It's a, it's a place of eternal fire. And, and you can get many of these descriptions from Jesus himself. It's also described as a lake of fire. You see that once again in the scriptures. We see that in Revelation chapter 20. And so Jesus, through that punishment that he took upon himself, the punishment we deserve, he he made it possible for mankind, for, for, for every man, woman, boy, and girl to be saved from the wrath of God. And all we, in verse 6 of Isaiah 53, it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in verse 11, it says, back in 2 Samuel 16, it says, And David said to Abishai, to his nephew, by the way, and this is also Joab's brother. Remember Joab, his commander? This is his brother. He said to him and all his servants, See, see how my son, speaking of Absalom, who came from my own body, seeks my life? How much more now may this Benjamite, this, this person from the same tribe as Saul, he, he's going to want my life even more. Let him alone. Let him curse. But so the Lord had ordered him. And so that, that's the way David is looking at this situation. And he says in verse 12, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and he cursed as he went. He threw stones at him and he kicked up dust, which was a sign of disrespect. And it was a way of expressing anger and contempt, his, his strong dislike of David. And in verse 14, it says, now the king and all the people who were with him became weary. So they refreshed themselves there, there where at, at the Jordan River. You know, as I, as I look at verse 14, I can't help but, but think about the fact that we all get a little weary. We, we all get a little tired from the busyness of life. We, we all become a little tired mentally, even emotionally, on top of physically from our battles against our flesh and our spiritual enemy. Yes, we get tired at that end. We get tired spiritually. We get a little weary from our troubles, from, from those afflictions that, that come along in life. Oh yeah, like David, you may get a little weary from, from people cursing you, wishing ill will upon you, wishing evil upon you. You get a little weary from that. 
get a little weary, you get a little tired, in other words, from people throwing stones at you, from people disrespecting you and kicking up uh, dust at you, the metaphorical way, to just showing disrespect, you get a little weary with that. And so it's like at times you, you're, you're in a 12-round boxing match, you, you're in round 12, you've been beat up, you're in this heavyweight boxing match, and you just can't wait to get to the corner just to be refreshed. That's how many of you feel in life spiritually, physically, emotionally, even mentally. And we've all been in that position. And yes, sometimes just resting physically will help. Just to see sometimes taking that day of rest will help. Will help you physically. But then there are some things that you're weary from that, that, that only being refreshed by the Lord will help. And so is there anybody who's here who's listening in, in the building or maybe online who, who needs to be refreshed because you are a little weary, you've been beat up, you've had stones thrown at you, you you've just been afflicted and you, you just need some rest, you need to be refreshed. See, if you're in that position, I would encourage you to, to find that rest in the Lord. To spend that time with him and allow the Holy Spirit to rejuvenate you, to to refresh you. Verse 15, it says, meanwhile, Absalom and all the people. So now we're back in, in the Jerusalem scene. So we switch scenes now back in Jerusalem. And so there Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, they came to Jerusalem. And Ahithophel was with them. And so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Speaking of King David, why did you not go with your friend? How come you didn't go with King David? Furthermore, And it says, I'm sorry, verse 18. And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be and with him I will remain. Furthermore, in verse 19, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son as I have served in your father's presence? So will I be in your presence. Now, now you need to remember what happened in the previous chapter in chapter 15, because in chapter 15, Hushai wanted to, he wanted to go with David. He wanted to, to be with him, his, his king and, and his friend. But King David, so now you're going to be a burden to me. Just go back. You'll be helpful to me there. And so Hushai here is pretending to be loyal to King David's son, Absalom, who was being rebellious at this point. And so Hushai is there to overturn the counsel of Ahithophel, who was David's previous counselor who turned on him. So he's there as David's spy to not only overturn Ahithophel's uh, counsel, but to also relay information back to him through the priest who was also there and through their two sons. Through the priest's two sons. And so, and so Hushai was David's spy. 
And so, in other words, he's a supporter of King David, the real king of Israel, who has infiltrated the enemy's territory. But here, Hushai, he's trying to fit in. He's trying to blend in to the enemy's territory. And so, similar to Hushai, David's friend here, Christians, we, we are supporters of the real king. We're, we're supporters of King Jesus, and, and we're placed in various places in the world, and we're placed in various environments, certain jobs, placed in certain schools and in certain neighborhoods and certain communities. God has placed us there for a reason. And so that's, that's the similarity that believers have with Hushai. But in contrast to Hushai, we as believers are not to blend in. We, we are not to blend in to the world. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world. That means don't, don't be similar in form or pattern to this world. Don't be like this world. This world, people in this world system that is under the influence of Satan. Don't, don't, don't fit in there. Don't be like the world. You're in it, but you're not of it. So don't be conformed to this world, but be instead transformed by the renewing of your mind. And transform means to change into another form. And what, uh, what other form are we trying to change into that we need to? We're to be transformed into the image of Christ, the image of Jesus. And it's by the renewing of our minds. And when our minds are renewed, when our minds are more Christ-like, instead of like the world, then we'll be able to prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? In other words, we'll be able to test so that we'll be able to discern or recognize what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But without having a transformed mind, a Christ-like mind, there's no way that we'll be able to recognize truly what the will of God is, the perfect will of God is. So there you see similarities between us and Hushai, but also a difference there. As believers, we're in the world, but not of it. But then in verse 20, it says, then Absalom said to Ahithophel, he says, give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house or palace and And all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house or on the roof of the king's palace. And Absalom went in to his father's concubines, those ten women's or secondary wives he left behind. He went into them in the sight of all Israel. And it says, now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle or word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So they respected 
highly respected the advice of Ahithophel. But, but looking at this act done by Absalom and, and, and going into and having sexual relations with, with his father's ten concubines that he left behind, this was actually prophesied by Nathan the prophet in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. It says, thus says the Lord, and this is Nathan the prophet speaking. He says, behold, as he passing on the word of God, behold, I would raise up adversity against you from your own house, from your own family. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of his son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So you did it secretly with Bathsheba, but I'm going to do this thing before all Israel. So, so God, of course, allowed this act to happen, but it doesn't mean that he approved of it. There's a difference. You see, this act that his son Absalom did, it humiliated David, and it was also a statement that Absalom was assuming absolute power. He was, what he was saying by this act is, I'm the king now. You know, because during that time, the wives of a conquered king were, were always the property of that new conqueror. And so here he was making that statement that I am the new king. And also by doing this, he had made um, reconciliation with this father beyond hope. And so that's what it means in verse 21 was said, where it says that all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. And, and so when people see that, that reconcili- reconciliation with your dad is beyond all hope, then all of your supporters, Absalom, what they're going to do now, they're going to support you even more. In other words, the hands of all who are with you will be stronger They'll be encouraged to give you more support if you do this act. And so that's what Ahithophel told him. And of course, he did it. And so Absalom, he followed this advice by this man who used to give counsel to King David. See, this Ahithophel, he had a well-respected position. The advice he gave was highly respected by both David and Absalom. But we see here that he used his position and he used his influence to encourage something evil. And there's even people today who are in high positions in society. There are people who are in high positions in an organization or in a business or they're in a high position in the educational system. They may be in a high position in the church or an influential position in the family. And they may have that privilege of influencing others. But unfortunately, some use it to influence them to do wrong. But on the good side of it, some influence others to do right. They use their position of influence to, to pass on right and godly advice. So how are we going to use that privilege, that position that God has given to us? Are we going to use it to share biblical advice? Are we going to use it to tell them what we think they should do, which is something against the word of God? 
See, before, before we bring this message to a conclusion, I, I do want to review an interesting part of this narrative, of this story, this true story, of course, that we've been reading in regard to King David and the opposition that he faced here in this chapter. I, I want to touch on the situation between him and this Shimei that, that we breeze through. Because by, by recollection, we, we recall that, that, that Shimei cursed this man. He cursed King David. He insulted him, disrespected him. He even tried to harm King David physically by throwing rocks at him and doing things like that. And, and yet we see Something that we should admire about King David here. What I admire about King David here in in this episode is that he showed great restraint. In other words, he he dealt with his opposition well. But, But it makes me think that there's many of us who have not and maybe do not deal with opposition well. And so we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing in this area? How how are we doing in this area of dealing with opposition, with those who are against us? Especially during this time in which there's much division and tension in the areas of politics and race and sexuality, all instigated by the real enemy, Satan or the devil. How, How are we doing in this area? Of opposition, of dealing with opposition. Have we fallen back or resorted to name calling? Are we going with this back and forth thing on social media, calling names and typing things we shouldn't type that are not befitting of a saints? Or have we even plotted on how we're going to get revenge against them? How are we going to get back at them? Or have we, we even literally gotten revenge? Have we caught them at a time when they weren't expecting? And have we found some kind of scheme or put together some kind of scheme and, and gotten back at them? How are we doing in this area of dealing with opposition? You know, the scriptures are clear about how we should deal with our enemies, how we should deal with those who are against us. You know, one way to deal with it, of course, is to, it says to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And that is, of course, if the opposition is, is due to us taking a stand for Christ. If, if, if people are against you because you're doing something silly, you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, that's, that's something different. That you're breaking the law, that's something different. But, but it's because, if it's because you're taking a stand for the word of God and you're, and you're taking a stand for Christ, rejoice and be exceeding and glad. As it says in Matthew 5 verses 11 and 12, it says, blessed or happy are you when they revile you, when they mock, when they insult you, in other words, and when they persecute you, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That's, that's, that's the way we should respond. 
Why? Because it says, great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we see earlier in this lesson how Shimei insulted David. You thought he was facing punishment because of killing and murdering Saul and members of his family. But, but of course, that, that wasn't true. As believers, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. But also the scriptures tell us to overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's just, it's plain in the word of God. And so we don't take vengeance into our own hands. We don't repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And when we do that, that will be a sign of point number three, which is to love our enemies. And Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 45 you have Jesus our Lord speaking he says you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies bless those who curse you so in other words invoke blessings upon those who wish evil upon you do good to those who hate you And pray for those who spitefully use you, which means to to treat you abusively. And they persecute you, which means to harass or to trouble or mistreat you. Pray for them that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So just like it rains on the crops of Evil people and good, and, and, and good people, people who are in a relationship with the Lord. Just as the sun shines upon those who are evil and, and those who are on God's side. The love from us should shine upon those who love us and those who don't love us. Because when we do that, when we, when we love all people, even our enemy, even those who oppose us, who are against us, then we are showing that we are sons of our father in heaven. We are demonstrating that we truly have been born again. And we are children of the God of the universe, of the true and the living God. Why? Because we are mimicking his behavior. And what do children do? They, they, they look like and they act like in some ways their parents. And so we are acting like our heavenly father when we love even our enemies. See, and although David had the power, although David had the fighting skills, even though David had at least one person who was willing to take off Shimei's head, He had somebody who was willing to do the dirty work. David didn't allow it. David, remember, he showed great restraint. But why did he show great restraint? As you see in 2 Samuel 16, 12, it's because he had put it in God's hands. He was determined To put it in the Lord's hands. He says, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this way. So, God, this is in your hands. Vengeance belongs to you. But in the same way, Jesus, the descendant of David, 
according to the flesh and the greater than David because he's God himself. He did not revile in return. So like David, Jesus didn't, he didn't give insults at the people who insulted him. Jesus did not threaten those who, who threatened them. Instead, the scriptures tell us that, that he committed or entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, Jesus also put it in his father's hands. And so you see a picture of Jesus here and what, what David did, how, how he didn't fight back, how he didn't take vengeance in his own hands, but he left it up to the Lord. He put it in God, the Father's hands. And so I would encourage you to do the same. And that's point number four is to, is to put it in God's hand. Put that person in God's hands. Let the Lord take care of the situation. You see, God had every reason to do away with us when we were in opposition to him. While we were yet sinners. While we were against God, weren't thinking about God, didn't want anything to do with God. He had every reason to, to wipe us out, to, to do away with mankind in general. See, we were sons of disobedience. We conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We gave in to the desires of our sinful nature. We did those things that didn't please God. We, we broke God's laws. We didn't follow his laws. We, we spit in the face of God, spiritually speaking, by rejecting him. There are some who even blaspheme God. You, we operated in the carnal or that fleshly mind. And the Bible says that that fleshly mind is that enmity is against God. It's, it's against God. It's against his ways. It's going in a totally different direction than God's ways. But we had that carnal mind. We were in opposition to him due to our sins. We were even called children of wrath according to Ephesians chapter 2. That means that we deserve the wrath of God in opposition to God. So yes, God had reason to do away with us. But God, but God who is Rich in mercy. God who is love. The God who greatly loved us while we were spiritually dead and while we were yet sinners. The, the God who gave his only begotten son, his unique son to die for us. That God saw fit to, to not put us away but to give us a chance to Receive the salvation that is in his son, Jesus. And of course, when we put our trust in Jesus for salvation, the scriptures tell us that he made us alive. And the fact that he made us alive in Christ Jesus, uh, the fact that we have this gift of salvation, we have passed from death to life even right now. The fact that that's true, all of that is by his grace. Is by the grace of God. So yes. When we love and. When we don't take vengeance in our own hands. When we. When we don't take vengeance against our enemies. We. 
we are demonstrating the fact that we are the children of God as, as Matt takes the stage. And there's one more scripture. Romans 5.10, it tells us that, it tells us this, it says, for if when we were enemies, if when we were enemies were, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So if when while we were enemies, we were reconciled, God did the work through Christ to reconcile us, to, to return us to favor and that peaceful relations with him while we were sinners. God did that while we were yet enemies. But imagine this. Think of this. Much more we shall be saved by his life. So get this. So yes, Jesus dying for us is important. It, it, it paid the price for our sins. It made reconciliation with God possible. But also, the fact that he's resurrected and he's still living, that life, that life saves us. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is that your salvation and the length of time of your salvation is only as good as your Savior. So if your Savior is alive, and, and if your Savior lives for eternity, that means your salvation is eternal. And you have it now. Right now. And that's according to the Word of God. And that brings us to the next part of our service, which is communion. Just going back to the death of Christ. And so as we partake of communion, we remember that sacrifice. And as you partake of it, of course, there's two cups. One has the bread in it or the cracker and one has the juice. You want to take both cups. And the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And the, the juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us. His life being poured out for us. And as often as we do it, we, we show forth his death till he comes. We proclaim his death until he comes. And so before you partake, I would encourage you to quickly spend time in prayer and ask the Lord if there's any sin, unconfessed sin in your life. And if there is, if the Lord shows it to you, just confess it, repent of it. You'll be forgiven. Fellowship restored. And so I'm just going to say a quick prayer, take my seat, and then you can get the elements, take them back to your seat, and, and you can pray between you and the Lord and, or with your spouse. So let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of reconciliation. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to love our enemies the way you called us to. Help us to love the way you love, how you sent Jesus to die for us while we were yet sinners. But also we pray your blessing upon the elements and that you be glorified. And as we partake, Father, we do this in remembrance 
of that great sacrifice of Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.